Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. You guys know this. Jake's taste in music is like prehistoric. So I tried to liven it up a little bit. Now, I, I say his is prehistoric. Mine is probably like 10 or 15 years more current than his, which still is kind of prehistoric, at least probably to you guys. But we're going to try to do just all hip-hop instrumentals today. I saw a so. Jay Cole song in the set list. So you're not fully uh, Yeah, there we go. Okay, there yeah. Go. All right. All right. Yep. Trying to be cool with the kids. Um, <laughs> I guess I didn't mention this, but today is my birthday. So, um, is it really? This is technically a birthday show for me. Happy yeah. birthday. birthday. Yeah. Uh, my Dirk day, 41. So... It sucks because we we did forty last year and it was a big deal. Like my wife got bottle works sweet or whatever and invited a bunch of friends and we had like a surprise thing and it was it was really cool. We actually watched IU Purdue that night. And now you're here and, with us. Um, yeah, and now I'm hanging with you, <laughs> you idiots. No, I love hanging with you guys. It's cool to do this. But I knew Jake would um, want me filling in on my birthday because he doesn't want to be near me during my birthday. He doesn't like anything that doesn't directly involve him or celebrate him. He doesn't like anybody else getting celebrated, which I understand. Indiana taking on Wisconsin tonight. Uh, that's not really newsworthy. What's newsworthy is where the program is, and we invite on into the company Mike Schumann. He is of the Daily Hoosier, and he joins us now on the guest line, Quarian Company 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Mike, Jake's out for jury duty today, so before we get started, I, I was just curious, um, have you ever... I'm assuming you've been summoned for jury duty. Have you ever actually been selected for a jury? I have never been selected. And happy birthday, by the way. Um, when I was, I remember going downtown when I was 18, and they asked a couple questions. I must have answered them the wrong way, and I was on my way, and I've never been <laughs> summoned back. <laughs> my wife's like that, where she got, I think she got summoned once and then hasn't been summoned. I, I've been summoned like, four times you know they say every two years I, I think they've kept that cadence with me like I always get that big yellow postcard in the mail like almost every two years on the dot and I actually got selected it was a, it was a neat process but we'll see what happens here with Jake um not a lot to say about tonight's game um I, I think you knew that we weren't going to have you on to kind of preview the matchup because even if Indiana would find a way to win against Wisconsin which has been um tough for them to do given the series history over the last really this this entire century um I wanted to talk about kind of the state of the program and, and, and sort of how we got here because this is uh, a much different place than where Indiana was, you know, even four or five weeks ago when, yeah, they were struggling. And I think the writing was on the wall that this was not going to be a season where they, they um, accomplished some of the goals that they set out to do, but then the, the bottom has since fallen out. I, I guess kind of taking the, the long view and when we're talking about where this team ranks historically, and they still have a couple of games to play to play out of this, if you take out Tom Crean's first three seasons, Mike, just because of what he inherited and all of that, the context of it, do you have to go back to that 0304 team? I mean, is is that the gold standard of bad Indiana basketball teams maybe before this 23-24 group? Yeah, it's no doubt that it that's one of them. It's right there. You know, another one I would throw in would be Archie's second team with with Romeo and and Juwan Morgan. Um, you know, obviously the analytics like that team a lot better than this current one, but if you recall that team had a 12 of 13 game losing streak in the middle of the big 10 season. So that, that there's a lot of uh, similarities in that season for me uh, to this one, just as the season just grinds on and it's just kind of the misery of reporting the same thing game after game after game or so it seems, but, but yeah, if you just take a step back and do pure analytics on this team, um, you know, sites like Ken Palm or Torvik, they, they, you know, the, the data just absolutely hates this team. Um, and, and I think a big reason why is, and what's really standing out is different from this edition of IU basketball from years past is just the way that they're losing. I mean, I, I don't recall, and it's something I want to research here later in the week, is I don't recall this many blowouts. Yeah. Uh, blow, blowouts at home, blowouts on the road, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, they, they're just not competitive, and it's because – you know, they're, they're not good offensively. The defense has taken a major step back. So there's just not a lot a lot to like with this team. And if you, if you purely look at the analytics on those kind of sites, they will tell you if you do, as you said, 
uh, forget about those three cream years. This is the worst team, you know, going back all the way to the Bob Knight era. We know that uh, everyone knows. I think this roster's limitations they're glaring and they're obvious their lack of shooting um their lack of depth uh we can go on and on and on about all the it's easier in fact it's much easier to list all the things that indiana does poorly than the things that they do well um does it still surprise you mike that we're here given the talent level just didn't you think that at least i did I, i thought they'd be able to squeeze a little bit something more just based on the fact that seemingly these are supposed to be capable basketball players but there's just no cohesion or flow or anything like that yeah, you go back to the off season, and you know you you listen to the national folks. I, I listen to them. I don't always agree with what they're saying, but the the narrative in the off season was that this was a poorly constructed roster, and and, and that made sense to me at the time. But you know you got to let things play out. Um, but but that has absolutely been the the case over the course of the season. And you you know I'll go all the way back to the first half of the first exhibition against the University of Indianapolis when when Indiana trailed at halftime of that game, um, that was the first red flag. And you, you write it off at the time and you say, well, it's an exhibition game. Who cares? But um, nothing has really changed from that standpoint. I mean, it's just been a team that just hasn't fit well together. Um, they, you know, they've got the dominant front court, at least at times it's dominant. Um, but the back court is just not there offensively. It's just not a team that functions cohesively in, in any way shape or form and it's just continued out through the course of the season and so it's um yeah it's been one of those things where um people said it during the off season and it's actually absolutely manifest uh throughout the course of this year was it too many eggs in the xavier johnson trey galloway basket i, I know it's lots of things but is that one of the if you're making all the bad bets that indiana made this year was that maybe the bet the worst bet or the, the one that paid off the least I mean, in the sense that if if you're looking to them to be your dynamic playmaking scores offensively, yeah. I mean, I, if there was one absolute miss during the off season, it's that Indiana didn't land a uh, a score in the backcourt. Um, you know, Trey Galloway didn't come into the season with a history of being, you know, a volume scorer, a guy that you could just give the ball and say, "Hey, go get 24 every night." And Xavier Johnson's not that guy either. Both of them. They've shown flashes of being able to do it, but they absolutely needed to land a guy. And it's easy to say in hindsight now, but like a Dalton Connect or a Caleb Love, guys that they, you know, to some level did try to to land in the offseason out of the transfer portal. If if you had a healthy Xavier Johnson all season with a player like that and the rest of this team, I think we're talking about a a pretty different scenario. Obviously, that's easy to say, right? But um, to to just try to go into this year with with Johnson and Galloway and, and think that you're you're going to shoot the ball well, um, get enough production out of your backcourt on a night-to-night basis. I don't think there was any indication going in that that was a reasonable expectation. Mike Schumann of the Daily Hoosier is our guest. Mike, there, there's whispers now at this stage, whether or not they lead to anything or not, who knows? That's for higher powers that be. But there are at least whispers of people that matter of, is this worth running it back another year, or is it time to part ways? Have you... What's your sense of the job security right now for Mike Woodson? And to piggyback off of that, what is he as a coach playing for these last four or five games, including the Big Ten tournament? Or is it, hey, just run him back out there, see what happens, but he's safe next year regardless of how the rest of these games end? Man, that that is so complicated right now. Like I, I wrote after the first Penn State loss, you guys will remember they got blown out on their home court by Penn State. It's like, you know, if they can't beat Penn State at home and can't even really be competitive, you know, who are they going to beat the rest of this season? And they did turn around and beat Ohio State the next game despite trailing in that one by 18. But, but the point was, you know, if you lose out, which they're, you know, practically speaking, that they have a good chance of doing that still. You know, what does that look like? You're talking about, you know, from a record standpoint, we mentioned the analytics. It's one of the worst seasons ever with, you know, yeah, we, we talked about the holes on the roster, but there's still a lot of talent. Uh, what does that look like? What does it mean? And to your point, you know, now what are you playing for uh, going forward? It's it's not real clear because Here's here's what I'm struggling with with this team right now, and you know when the when the calendar turns to March 18th and it's portal season, 
um, one way or another, Indiana's going to have to make a decision on what they're going to do because you can't turn the calendar to March 18th, go out into the transfer portal with with questions about your head coach. Whatever Indiana did wrong during last transfer portal season, even if they learn their lessons and they, they have a good plan going into this portal season, if they do it with questions about their head coach and uh, recruits and transfers aren't really sure what the situation is, that that's not a good situation. So I think Indiana – one way or another is going to have to decide here real quick. Either we're moving on or we're going to have to find a way to, you know, say publicly that, that Mike Woodson is our guy and and we support him going forward. So, um, you know, I think that would be easier to do to answer your question about these last four games. It would be easier to do if we saw some sign of uh, improvement, you know, some sign that if Xavier Johnson returns, that that really was one of the major issues. Uh, so, something that Indiana can kind of, uh, point to and say Woodson's our guy. It didn't go well, but but here's why, and and we're sticking with him. We're joined by Mike Schumann, thedailyhoosier.com dot com, and at daily underscore Hoosier on X and Twitter. Um, Mike, I, I was way out on Tom Allen, so maybe this is not quite apples to apples with Woodson because I'm I'm not ready to give up on him yet but where I fear they may be similar is that I, and Jimmy and I just talked about this. I'm not sure if either of them know what the core problems are. Like, you know, Tom Allen constantly made coaching changes. He threw a bunch of stuff against the wall to figure out how to fix his program, but I never really felt like he grasped what the core issues were. Um, Does Woodson, because he he must know that the problems go beyond just guys missing open shots. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, we all asked the question when he was hired, you know, how is he going to transfer from a career in the NBA to the college game where he literally had no experience as a coach. And and if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt in that regard, it's like he, he didn't even really know what he was getting into, you know, once he had him. Because if you recall the, the timing of, of NIL and when that became a thing, that was just a few months after he took over. Mm-hmm. So he, he stepped into a completely different situation than, than he even really thought he was going to at the time. So, you know, he's had the, you know, he's had to learn to function, you know, like every other college coach. So I, I guess it's not, you know, necessarily saying that, that he has an excuse there, but, but, but he didn't know what he didn't know at the time. And it only got more complicated. And so now you're talking about a situation that looks a lot like NBA free agency to me, which I, you know, I'll be the first to admit I've written over the last three years that that ought to be a situation that he can thrive in. Cause it is more familiar for, for someone with his background. But you know it's so much more complicated than that. It's it's the um, you know the importance of every game in a 31 game season versus 82. It's the the X's and O's. It's the um, you know the the amount of time and energy that that has to be put into recruiting and transfer portal and and roster management that an NBA guy doesn't really have to spend as much time with. Um, I, I think there's just a lot there that. That you know, to answer your question, I don't know what what he knows or if he knows enough, but there there's certainly some coherent arguments to suggest that, that he's gotten in and bit off a little bit more he could than he can chew here, and, and we're seeing that throughout college basketball. We're seeing a lot of veteran guys that say, "Man, this thing has just changed so dramatically from from what we used to know," and we're seeing guys like Jay Wright and and others step out. So, um, you know, it certainly could be the case that, that he's just kind of. You know, I hate to say in over his head, but, you know, that that's kind of a possibility anyway. How much did the presence of Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway on this roster, in your mind, impact their ability to seal guys in the portal last year? I, You know, if you ask me what they needed more than anything was a volume-scoring shooting guard. Like I mentioned, Dalton Connect and Caleb Love. I, I don't think those guys would have impacted that at all. I, I can't tell you why they missed on, you know, not just those guys, but really anybody that kind of fits that building. I, I don't think anybody was looking at, at at those guys and thinking, I can't find a role on this team. Um, uh, you know, certainly Xavier Johnson, if they wanted to land a point guard, you know, he was a, in, in essence, a five-year starter coming back for a six-year. That, that complicates things a bit, but – um, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, we, we saw guys go to very crowded locations where playing time wasn't clear. Um, you know, for, for whatever reason, Indiana just wasn't prepared and didn't do a good job during last year's transfer portal season. There, there's stories and rumors that I won't 
won't share on, on public radio about you know, why some people feel like uh, they, they didn't have success in the portal. But um, I, I've heard the suggestions about Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway. And I, I just don't really think that's it. I mean, maybe on the margin it wasn't helpful, but I don't think that's the, the larger story. We're talking with Mike Schumann, thedailyhoosier.com. Um, last thing here, Mike, when we talk about, you know, kind of where the program is and, and where it's going, um, as you mentioned, it's a much different atmosphere this time with, with NIL and the, there's the ability for quote unquote, the quick fix, even though I think we'd all agree that Indiana needs to build something that's sustainable. That's been their big problem this century where they've had some good seasons. They just haven't been able to build upon those. Is there added urgency or I guess frustration is a given the fact that it, it just seems like. You know, I was having this conversation with with a buddy of mine. Um, every other sport is cooking right now, right? Softball, volleyball, uh, women's basketball. Obviously, the baseball team has been incredible. Swimming and diving just had a tremendous finish to win the Big Ten. And it just feels like everything is working right now at Indiana except the two revenue sports. And, um, you, know, you know, that that kind of fueling the fire, if you will. I, I get that Indiana basketball fans are passionate, I, I guess, no matter what. But when you see all of these other sports thriving, um, I feel like there's even more of a thirst to, to want to turn it around for the two main level programs yeah there's no doubt about that i mean look i mean it, they, they made the change with football and, and the narrative has completely changed along with it now of course if, if indiana lays an egg at the start of, of the season in the fall that that narrative will completely flip back to what we've been accustomed to over the last hundred years sure but, uh, be that as it may they, they made the change and, and you mentioned all those other non-revenue sports i mean you look at them and i'll, I'll highlight women's basketball it's kind of the marquee one you know what what changed with women's basketball it's obvious i mean that was a program that was a perennial you know at best middle of the road team uh, doormat at times no no real history no real anything to lean on we're drawing like a thousand two thousand people a game and what changed it was terry morin i mean a coach can dramatically change the situation i don't think i'm saying anything profound when when i say that it's it's just obvious and if you look up and down all those other programs that you mentioned that's been the constant so i mean it, it's just it's it's the elephant in the room right now and like you said or like i said they, they made the change with football everything changes the, the day you do it and now we're at that serious inflection point with the basketball program as well at daily underscore Hoosier on X and free IU coverage, the dailyhoosier.com. Mike's a great follow and does great work covering the Hoosiers. Thanks so much, Mike. Really appreciate the time and um, try to make it through, I guess, these next whatever it is, four or five games. <laughs> Will do, Derek. Appreciate it. Happy birthday. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. It's Mike Schumann of the Daily Hoosier. Joining us now is a guy that has become very good friends with Jake over the past couple of years, and he also covers the Colts for ESPN, but I'm going to start with the friendship part because I'm not jealous at all, Stephen, that I see your (laughs) videos on Instagram, and I recognize those seats that you're sitting in for the Pacers games, and it feels like you're in those seats a lot, and I was just wondering, because we're also friends, if maybe once in a while, when you're sitting in those seats that I'm discussing about, you would... um, nudge the person that brought you to that game with those seats and say hey you know your buddy Derek really likes NBA basketball maybe you offer him one of these tickets one of these nights how about it fair fair yeah definitely fair um you know you know what you need in your life you need more Toronto Raptors games for sure yeah you definitely need more of those Uh, (laughs) uh, the truth is he he pays me to be his friend that's that's what this is we have an arrangement I knew it um you know, I, I, I have a certain cool factor and he, you know, he wants to be associated with that. And so, yeah, that's our arrangement, you know, and I, I won't disclose the sum, you know, because uh, that's just not proper to do that. But, um, but yeah, we have an arrangement. Yeah. So it, it, it works out for us. Yeah. It's just like the Knicks games, you know, they got Seinfeld and Spike Lee at the garden and we've got Stephen <laughs> Holder and Jake Query uh, courtside for all the Pacers games. So it's, basically, it, it, it's basically, how it works. Yes. Um, This has been, I know you took a vacation as well. This has been kind of a a nice little break. No, I I feel like nothing has happened for the Colts between that disappointing end of the Texans game and the start of the combine. And and it feels like it's been a really long time since nothing happened in the, whatever it's been five, six, seven weeks of that time period, considering all the quarterbacks and hiring Shane Steichen last year, Uh, a little bit all quiet on the Western front. No. I mean, yeah, mostly I will say it's funny. A lot of times, 
I don't even take off this time of year because you're afraid like all hell's going to break loose, sure. you know, before the combine. And so this year I decided to, to roll the dice. Now, of course, then there were like, to be completely serious, there were like concerns about Jamercy and like, is he okay? Yeah. And I was, I was wondering like, okay, am I going to be out of the country and get a phone call that like, you know, Hey, like this, something took a turn for the worse and all that. So about a week before I was scheduled to, take, to leave for vacation, um, he sent out that tweet that he was on the mend, and I was I was very happy for that in and of itself. Don't get me wrong, but I was also happy because I was like, all right, well, cool. Like maybe things are okay, and we can we can sleep at night now. So um, yeah, it has been quiet. It it has been. Um, I don't have any wood to knock on as I say that, uh, but but it's also you know I think it's going to be interesting because they're. Um, their off-season activity is actually coming up, and and that's the thing. They typically are pretty quiet in free agency, and they still might be, but they have their own free agents, the Colts do, to deal with. And I think this Michael Pittman, for example, negotiation is going to be very interesting, and I think that's going to be a big story unto itself here, not to mention you know, the remaining free agents, guys like Kenny Moore and, and Grover Stewart, and et cetera. So it's interesting that I think they're – their busy part of the off season is now upon us in the coming weeks, as opposed to in January, which is probably for the better, because if you're busy in January, that means things went poorly. Before we start with the combine, let's go ahead and begin there with free agency. Cause you're right. I mean, it's a fascinating, I can't remember the last time the Colts had an in-house free agent class like this. Um, yeah. it, it's been a long time. Um, the Pittman jr. Situation does, does what happened with Jonathan Taylor and how, seemingly bad that got for a while there before obviously the situation was was remedied and everybody walked away happy does that play into how they handle this at all Stephen? um i i don't think so i think the the situation or the circumstances are really different and they're different in a couple of ways number one the, the positions are different sure you know just the the way those positions are viewed I mean, most people who watch football understand that, right? I mean, we know where running backs are today, which is why Jonathan Taylor took the stance that he took. Whether we agree or disagree is immaterial. Um, it's, it's understandable, right? Whether we, however we view it, um, because that's what you had to do to get paid at that position. Uh, and wide receiver, you have much more demand. And uh, he, has, you know, Michael Pittman has nothing but upside in terms of, you know, from a financial perspective, it's it's nothing but upside. So. So, so that makes it less acrimonious because he knows he's going to get paid. It's just a matter of who's going to step up and do it. Is it going to be Indy? Is it going to be somebody else? So Michael Pittman's sleeping just fine at night because he knows he's going to have a lot of zeros in his bank account very soon. The only question is where. Uh, and then the other difference is that, you know, he, he has the upper hand here. You know, he's the one that's entering free agency he has the upper hand until he doesn't, you know, if they decide to, to franchise him, obviously. But uh, he's in a strong position, at, at least uh, for the time being as well. So much different circumstances. It's just why I, I separate this situation from Jonathan Taylor's situation. Colts beat writer for ESPN, Stephen Holder, is our guest. Stephen, you have a piece up on ESPN.com released yesterday. Will Colts buck tradition and franchise tag Michael Pittman Jr. to continue this conversation that we're having on Pitt? And in it, you outline the fact that based on what Michael Pittman Jr. has said publicly, and I'm quoting your story for this question, unless the offer from Indianapolis is far and away better than anything Pittman can realistically expect on the market, he seems destined to shop his talent to other teams. You also highlight the fact that it's been since Pat McAfee 11 years ago that the Colts placed a franchise tag on a player. We've asked this question different ways the last couple of months, but just to reassert it, there's not a world where they, the Colts, sit there and say, well, he clearly wants to test the market and we haven't used the tag in 11 years, so let's let this play out because we think we can still retain his services. We're still in the boat where if they feel like they can't retain him, they just tag it and then continue to work, right? There's no way he hits the open market. I mean, I <laughs> I never say never, but it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me that you would do that. I know what I would do. Certainly they didn't ask me, but if they did, I would tell them, well, you're going to tag him, right? Because you're not idiots. <laughs> but I, I also think that I'll, let me choose my words carefully. I think the Colts 
to a degree, take offense to the idea like, hey, you don't have any choice here because you don't have weapons. Now, that I think that's largely true. I think they have weapons, but they're very, they're vastly inferior to Michael Pittman. But there is a little bit of sentiment there, a little bit that like, hey, 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 hold on. Like we can we'll figure things out if we had to. But that might also just be there might be some posturing there. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what you do when, you know, when you're having to possibly lay out one hundred million dollars, you, you know, you you try to you try to stick your chest out and say, ah, we're fine. You know, (laughs) but I um I do anticipate that he's going to get franchised, not because someone told me that. I just looking at the situation. I think it just it's the only it's the only sensible outcome that I can come to right now. I don't see them reaching a deal uh, by what I think we got about a week left before uh, the the franchise tag deadline, or a little more than a week. I would be very surprised if there's a resolution before that, uh, particularly when you factor in Michael Pittman's. Uh, stated approach to this. He has been very clear as I, as I laid out in the story. And then, then, you know, just the the fact that the Colts have, uh, he, he has been targeted in the last three years, as I laid out in the piece, in the last three years, he's been targeted, I think 26% of the time by Colts quarterbacks. So one out of every four pass attempts over the last four of the last three years have gone to Michael Pittman that I believe is eighth highest in the NFL. So, so tell me again, how he's not all you have, <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like you have other guys, but clearly you don't have the same level of faith in them because all of your quarterbacks throw the ball to Michael Pittman. That's all I'm saying. What's your confidence level that they would eventually reach an extension before the season started, Stephen? Um, I think, I think they, if they franchise him, I think you you have to do that. I well, I guess have have to is the wrong word. You don't have to do anything, but I, I just don't see what you accomplish by playing that out. You know, you're going to have a pissed off player. You're going to have. I mean, I presumably, and I'm not saying Michael Pittman told me that or, or has suggested that, but no one loves being franchised, mm-hmm. particularly when this is your first bite of the apple in free agency, right? So. No one loves playing on the franchise tag, even if it is $21 million, $22 million, uh, versus, you know, a, a possible $80, $90, 100000000 million contract, right? There's, I mean, not even close to the same thing. So that sets a bad tone there. It also, I think, says or sends the wrong message to your locker room. Now, maybe that doesn't matter that much. I don't know. But if you preach to your team – that if you if you do everything that's asked of you and if you go out there and 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 you're reliable and you perform, we're going to take care of you. We're franchising a player and and leaving him to twist in the wind and play on that on that franchise tag. That is not taking care of your player. So I, I think it would be somewhat contradictory. It'd be very contra- contradictory to do that. So if you take everybody at their word in this thing, and the Colts in particular. That, that they're going to do what they say they will do, and they have with their other players, then I anticipate, yes, they'll get a deal done. Let's move on to the combine and the draft as well and, and talking about some of those needs. I mean, we're all in agreement that corner's the biggest need, right? I, I think there are other needs, but is, is that clearly the number one, Stephen? Uh, I think that was their biggest weakness in 2023. That's I think we can agree on that. Um, I, I think the question, when you talk about draft and you talk about need – um, how you attack need is it depends sometimes on what the board looks like and, and what the depth is at a particular position, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Right. But I think, yes, I, I agree in principle that yes, that was their biggest issue last season. I mean, frankly, if they had better secondary play, they're in the playoffs. There's just, I mean, that's, it's simple. It's very, very simple. I think that is, we can boil it down to that level. If their secondary play was better, they would have been a playoff team. I don't think you can be any more direct than that. We're talking with Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, talking Colts and Combine. The workouts begin coming up here Thursday, a couple of blocks from where we sit right now at 93.5 and 107.5, the fan studios. Uh, I, I'm very interested, and and I know that you're presented with hypotheticals all the time. What if they get this person? But I'm, I'm going to do exactly mm-hmm. that, even though I usually can't stand it. Um, Brock, Brock Bowers, right, is the guy that everybody wants to talk about. And, and I know that he is technically a tight end, but if he becomes what he is projected to be, then I, I think he 
goes out of being pigeonholed just as a tight end and he becomes a pass catcher and a dynamic threat. And we, we all know um, what teams with really good tight ends did this season and, and how far, especially the NFL's final four, ended up going with four very capable players at that position. If they were, let's just say hypothetically, Stephen, that it's Bowers mm-hmm. at 15. If they were to get him, does that change how they approach, maybe not the Pittman situation, because I think the Pittman situation, they, they want to bring him back, but um, does it change how they approach what they do at wide receiver if they have a little bit more of a reliable and dynamic pass-catching threat at tight end? I think it could. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with them taking that approach. If, if, you know, if this hypothetical played out, because here's why I, I really do think that what you, what you're really looking for is not receivers or running backs or tight ends. You're looking for weapons. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the very you know broad sense, you're looking for weapons and that is what they have lacked. Frankly, you know, they have a couple that, that are proven weapons. They have some possibles, that have to still, you know, play out. But I mean, when you talk about proven weapons, look, the Kansas City Chiefs have gone the back-to-back Super Bowls and won back-to-back Super Bowls, excuse me, after trading away the most electric wide receiver in football. Why? Because they have an incredible weapon who was able to fill that void and he's not a wide receiver. <laughs> and and the quarterback is okay. He's decent. That helps. <laughs> but my point is there's, you can't even – they couldn't even have entertained that without Travis Kelsey, right? And so that just goes to show you, I mean, it, it's it's about weapons. It's not about what category that that player plays, you know, or what position that player plays. I care more about what can he do and and can he put points on the board, frankly. And and that's what that's what a guy like Brock Bowers can do. Uh, so I I'm fine with that. I think that is, that should be the mentality. And I think Chris Ballard does think that way. I think he's very much a guy who thinks about like who, what are our weapons and and what can we do with those guys. And then I would add this by the way to your hypothetical. Let's just take it a step further. Let's say that did happen. Uh, I don't think there are a few better places or there are a few better places where a guy like that could wind up than on a team coached by Shane Steichen, who I think yeah. would just have all kinds of fun with a guy like that. Stephen Holder is our guest, covers the Colts for ESPN. To kind of build off of that question, because I'm with Derek, I feel like that for Shane Steichen and what he would want in an ideal offense, it is a do-it-all tight end. Whether or not that do-it-all tight end yeah. ever reaches the level of Travis Kelsey or George Kittle, okay, let the, let the kid have a career, but I feel like that would be best for his offense. However, I do acknowledge, and you brought this up as well, that yeah, that cornerback room could use another weapon, and it's really a a crossroads philosophical moment for them, at least on the draft, of what they want to do with that first pick. Because I know mocks don't mean anything, Stephen. We just consume them for, for data and for other, you know, kind of brain operations to see oh, what do people think is going to happen here or there. But that is their range at 15. Brock Bowers, a corner, or a defensive end. If it gets to that crossroads for them... What wins out? The development of the rookie quarterback, which I think would be sped up by more offensive weapons, or the clear need for additional help in Gus Bradley's scheme defensively? Hmm. It is. Uh, it's an interesting dilemma, and I, I think, I hope at least, that's where the, uh, the 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 input of your coach maybe matters. And let's just say. Let's say it's a tie, and, and let's say all of those players are equal. They won't be, right, because you have a draft board and you have to you force yourself to rank them. So that won't happen. But let's just say very, very hypothetically they were all pretty even. I would hope that if, you're, if your head coach was an offensive head coach who calls the plays, he's the architect of the offense, I would hope that if he felt very, very strongly about an offensive player, you would take that into consideration. And And honestly, I do think – there's a track record for doing that. I mean, Naheem Hines, for example, was a guy like that, that I know Frank Reich was banging the table for Paris Campbell was another one of those, uh, you know, neither player, you know, stayed here long-term, but both certainly had a lot of ability and you saw what they were drawn to there. Um, so anyway, I guess what I'm saying is if your head coach is banging the table for a guy, if that indeed happens uh, and you know that he can be trusted, you know, to, to get the most out of out of an offensive player, which I think we can say about Shane Steichen right now, then I'm going to give that a lot of credit and, and take that into consideration. So we'll see what happens. Uh, the other thing I would say is 
it's also going to depend on, or one other factor, I guess, is like positions that are deeper than others. Like wide receivers are pretty deep this year. You know, what, what is the, you know, let's say there's a run on those guys early. Let's say two or three are gone or four by the time the Colts pick. Well, the fifth or sixth wide receiver might still be pretty damn good. And so, you know, I just, it just kind of depends on how all that shakes out too. Jimmy had mentioned kind of twitchy defensive ends. It's so weird. It's combine week, right, Steven? So we get to say like twitchy and length and all these. Get out that dictionary, baby. Yeah, these these words. Combine. Yeah, Yeah, it's not the combine without saying long and twitchy and uh, what are the what are some others? I've been out of practice for a while. Agile, agile, yeah. I love it, love it. Quick first step. Uh, Bendy, bendy, bendy. Yes, bendy makes me extremely uncomfortable. Gets to the second level. Um. But, but you know, given their pass rushing situation, look, it, it was a productive unit this year, right? The numbers are what they yeah. are. Yeah. But, you know, and this is no offense to Quiddy Pay. Quiddy Pay's been a productive player. I, I don't I don't get the sense that Quiddy Pay's like a, a keep-you-up-at-night guy. Maybe Dio ends up being that as well. I mean, is that right. something on this draft board? Because we're really hammering corner, pass catcher, safety, uh, those areas. Is that something on the draft board where if we're truly going BPA, if you will, to use another term that we throw out this time of year, <laughs> um, that could, I don't want to say surprise some people, Stephen, but th- that the Colts could really look at? Yeah, we should, by the way, we should make like a draft drinking game, okay, every time we use a, a draft, um, a, a, a cringy draft acronym or something. Anyway, so it's an interesting situation, right? Like they they actually did exactly what they said they were going to do with their pass rush. And what I mean by that is they said, look, we're going to have a pass rush by committee, and we think it's really good. And they were right. They actually had a very good pass rush by committee. So here's the problem with that. It's great. The numbers were great. I mean, they were historic. The best pass rush, or excuse me, best sack production by the or in the Indianapolis era. That is to be commended. That is that is remarkable. But it is interesting, though. I think what you're looking for is when you watch the elite pass rushers in the NFL. Okay, on third down, if it's third and long, and you're playing the Cleveland Browns. You are terrified of Miles Garrett. You're just mm-hmm. terrified, right? And they don't have such a player. And I think the the problem is, like overall, they had a good pass rush. The the that's the half full version of it. The half empty viewpoint is that okay, yeah, but the argument is that really the sacks that matter are the ones or the the pass rush that matters. Or it matters more when they come, I guess. So I'm sorry for botching this whole thing. I had a, I had it. It sounded good in my head, and I didn't put it out there well. The point is, when those quarterback hits come, when those quarterback sacks come, and when that pressure is produced, matters almost just as much as how many sacks you get and how much pass rush you produce. And so, those are the moments where games get decided. Fourth quarter, third down, gotta have it. Right? Do you have a guy who can make a play? They did make some of those, but I think I don't know what you would prefer. I guess a lot of people would probably lean towards saying, "I want the guy who gets 18 sacks." Um, but you know, it, sometimes you can, as an offense, you can sometimes isolate that guy and you can double him all day and make his life really hard if they don't have anybody else. The Colts have a situation where the pressure could come from just about anywhere. So it's it's a maybe to some degree a little bit more challenging in some ways, but but I do think it's like basketball, right? If you've got uh, if you're playing the Golden State Warriors and uh, they're down two with with ten seconds left, well, where the hell is the ball going? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know where the ball is going, and and there's a good chance he's going to score that basket. His name is uh, well, what Steph Curry, something like that. So. You know, I don't know. It's it's a good hypothetical conversation, and I enjoy these kinds of conversations because there's no right answer, but but it would be nice to have one of those guys for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, Stephen, you've seen um, Steph Curry courtside, right, in your seats with, with Jake, so you know better than anybody uh, perhaps, what, what, perhaps, he's been, yeah. what he's able to do. <laughs> I, I have also seen um, the, the Washington Wizards, and let me tell you, you haven't lived until you sat courtside for a Washington Wizards game, buddy. Dude, I went and I, I took my family. My son, my son's becoming like a big NBA guy, and I was like, let's let's you know pick a weekend game or whatever. And we went and saw them play Orlando earlier in the season, and they were down 
25 after the first quarter, and they were down, I think, 39 at one point. It was like one of the Pacers' worst games. And that's as a paying customer. So for somebody that's used to going, you know, sometimes with comp tickets or with right. the credentials, you know, I, I'm raging about the fact that I actually paid real money to see one of the Pacers' <laughs> worst performances. And I was not courtside, by the way, because I'm just uh, too cheap to spring for those. But someday, someday Jake will invite me to, to be along again. I'll put in a good word for you, you Thank know, you. But, but again, you know, our arrangement's a little different, as I said. So, you know. <laughs> We'll see. I'm a has-been <laughs> F-level celebrity. You're still very much in it. So, yes, I, I totally get where Jake's line of thinking is. <laughs> At Holder Steven on Twitter, X, ESPN.com. Always enjoy talking with you, my man. Thanks so much. Okay, guys. Take care. That's Steven Holder. Pacers fall to Toronto in a uh, Sega Baba. They're 2-9 and nine now in Sega Baba. Excuse me. Season. I knew it. <laughs> Second game of a back-to-back. Nobody says that, Derek. You, l- listen. <laughs> They. That's another thing that happened today when, you know, they were asking me qualifications, and I'm like, yeah. And they said, "Have you been on jury duty before?" And I said, "I've never had jury duty, but my understanding is, with this being a multiple, that tomorrow would be the Sega Baba of juries." And they're like, "What is that?" I said, "Derek Schultz says that." And they said, "Who is he?" And then I was released. Well, I know our, our friend Dustin Dopirak, who covers the Pacers, has no idea what that means. Um, knows exactly. What, I, I feel like he's used it in articles before. Covers the blue and gold for the star. Um, like I said, Dustin, I, I get it was a Sega Baba last night, but a, a disappoint, a disheartening performance, I should say, against Toronto after a terrific win over Dallas. Uh, honestly, are, are, are the last 48 hours kind of a microcosm of what the Pacers have been this season where you have that that closing stretch against Dallas? I mean, they just they stuff them into a trash can, and then they come back the next night. Again, Sega Baba context there. Um, but play as poorly as they did outside of Matherin and a couple of other standout performances. It's kind of who the Pacers have been this year, no? Yeah, more or less. I mean, obviously there's uh, the, the new wrinkle that you don't usually see of Tyrese Halliburton having a really bad game. Uh, I mean, this is. I mean, I think you can almost definitely look at it as one probably the worst game he's had all year. He was two of eleven, I think one of six from three. Uh, you know, had seven assists, but just didn't seem right, especially in that closing stretch. I think it was minus fifteen, and you just never see that from him. You know, obviously, uh, you know, even uh, nights where he hasn't been great, he's usually been able to produce at least a little bit, a little bit more than that, and, and he tends to give you a chance uh, down the stretch of pulling one out and, and you know last night he had, he made them actively worse that never happens and you, you can't presume that that's going to happen again it's just one of those rare rare anomalous off nights but yeah i mean overall obviously they've had losses like that before so it's not like you can say okay well you know it only happened because allegren had a bad night i mean they've had another a, a bunch of other reasons why it's happened and toronto is a particularly bad matchup for them i think in particular because they're i mean they're bigger they tend to basis tend to struggle against teams like that they kind of have to outshoot them um and when they're not on from there like they're not going to outwork you know they're not going to out physical them like toronto's just got too much size uh and so they have to like you know when they beat him in toronto they had i think they they made 11 more threes than the raptors did and so they were able to give up 84 points in the paint and still win you know last night i think it was pretty close to even and i think they gave up 78 in the paint and they got beat but they have those kind of flaws i mean that's that's the issue is they're they're a pretty good team but they're not a spectacular team and they have clear weaknesses and so they're capable of getting beat on a night like that when if, if they're not on then teams that have specific advantages of them can still beat them and doesn't matter what that team's record is or how good they are overall they can find a uh uh, you know, a find, find a way to beat the Pacers when they're like that and when they're just not on, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, they were the night before against Dallas, they can get beat. So that's, it is the only day who they are. I mean, they've, they've left too many very winnable games on the table that you just, you just look at record, you're like, you have no business losing that game and they find a way to lose it. But obviously they can put it all together and when the offense is really clicking, uh, they can beat some of the best teams in the league. So that's who they are at the end of the day. They can find a way to lose some of the worst teams in the league and find a way to beat the best ones. And that at the end of the day, it equates out to where they are right now. Dustin, I don't know how to ask this without it sounding like a negative towards the player because it's not intended to be that at all. I think he's a wonderful talent. And you would probably know based on the numbers whether or not this even holds water in all of the different cases. But it feels to me like games where Benedict Matherin is the Pacers' leading offensive threat and where he really gets into a groove. And he did last night. I mean, he, he can be a mm-hmm. rhythm scorer. But it feels to me like if there is a game where Benedict Matherin is leading them in scoring and he is their go-to guy, that typically is a game where it's because nothing else is working in cohesiveness and it's not a good sign for them. Statistically speaking, is there anything to back that up or is last night the anomaly? I think there is there is something to back that up and some of it's just kind of observation. I mean, like 
and, and I think Carlisle mentioned this last night. He's like, you know, we're not we're not good. He, he, he is his words. He said, you know, we're not good when we're an isolation team. Like we need to move the ball. Like that's our strength. But the issue is that Benedict Matherin is a really good isolation player, and so that that was what makes him kind of an odd fit with them in general. But sometimes to stay in it, if if things aren't clicking the way that they usually do, if the ball movement isn't producing the open shots and the, and the made shots that it usually does, then someone's got to find a way to go get a bucket to keep you in it. And Benedict Matherin is as good as they have as, as just going and get a, getting a bucket. You know, Halliburton can obviously do that too. Siakam can do that too. Uh, but that's when Matherin is kind of on an equal playing field with everybody else. And he's got to be sort of a quick decision, you know, a catch and shoot type of guy. You know, he's not as... Um, you know, efficient as an Aaron Neesmith is, but, you know, Matherin has the capacity to find a way to get his own shots in a way that Aaron Neesmith doesn't necessarily. So that's kind of the dichotomy I think you're seeing there is that, yes, at the end of the day, like, he's better when everything else is broken down because he's the guy who gets you the shot late in clock when what you were trying to do didn't work. He's got that capacity to get that shot that the other guys don't have. Um, so they're better off when they're not, don't find themselves in that position that maybe they need somebody to save them with a late clock, you know, break you down off, off a crossover dribble or just attack the rim kind of move, but you still need a guy who can do it. And so that it, it makes kind of a weird anomaly that way. I, I like to, to your point, I don't think it's an insult to the player, but they're, you know, when they're clicking, they don't need what Matherin gives them, but when they're not, they do, I guess is the best way to put it. That at least keeps them in games. Uh, a lot of times they still end up losing those games because they're not efficient enough, but you know, Matherin can go off and keep you in it. So it, it, I think it ends up working that way. I don't think that means that his points aren't useful. I mean, like they're in the game because Matherin was really good last night. You know, the fact that they even had a chance in the fourth quarter was Matherin was spectacular and hitting step back shots and stuff like that. But, but his game lends itself to, you know, he's a guy who's going to take a couple crossover dribbles and try to, um, you know, break down a guy. And what that means is the ball sticks and they don't like when the ball sticks. So it's, it's a weird, uh, you know, dichotomy that way. But I think what you're saying is mostly true. Pacers beat writer Dustin Depurak is our guest. Uh, producer Eddie Garrison points out to Jake's point: one in three are the Pacers when Benedict Matherin scores thirty plus. He goes for thirty four nine and five last night, and you mentioned it really keeps them in the game with those step back triples and keeps things afloat offensively. But he acknowledged publicly, I can't remember if it was last night or if it was this morning, but he acknowledged the mm-hmm. fact that he needs to be better on the defensive end, especially in a game like that. Is that a player saying what he's supposed to say, or is that growth and acknowledgement for a second-year budding star? Well, it's both. I mean, it is. A, I mean, he knows it. I mean, he's been told it all year. It's not like it hasn't been made clear to him that you have to get better on this end. And it didn't just start with with them. It didn't start in Indiana. I mean, basically, I mean, he's been told this going back to Arizona, going back to his days. You know, when I, I you know, when I did a feature on him last year, I talked to his coach from uh, the Latin American, the NBA Latin American Academy, and they said the same thing. Like, Ben, you're going to have to guard. You're going to have to play defense. He's always been able to be a scorer. And he's, I think he's good at He's generally good at one-on-one defense. I mean, like he's like when it's just you against him, he can take it. It's just when he gets crossed up in, uh, you know, in rotations and stuff like that, you can see his head spinning, and sometimes he's just not where he's supposed to be. Um, so, I mean, he's aware of that, and I think I think he's better on a whole you know, this year than he was last year. I think he's had some really good games and some really good individual efforts, but it's not all there. You know, and you still see some periods where you're like, you know, you could sense that Ben Massman was supposed to be somewhere he was not. And, you know, like that, so that there's still growth and it's tough to be really good defensively in this league at this point, because guys are so good and offenses are so good. Um, but yeah, he, he, it's growth that he knows that he keeps seeing this, but you know, you obviously you would want the growth to be faster for the Pacers. I, I think this was more of a, a circumstances thing, especially with the injury situation, but um, I was pleased to see Jarris Walker getting some early run. I think he got some second <laughs> quarter minutes last night. Um, anything yeah. to read into that, Dustin? Well, the biggest thing is it was an injury situation. Doug McDermott had some kind of calf issue, uh, and he was you know out for the rest of the way. So somebody had to play, and that's really the only option. Uh, the good, I mean, the positive thing is I do think Rick Carlisle likes what he's seeing, and I think we talked to him um, – I remember when he was in Vegas, uh, when, when Walker was in Vegas with uh, with the Mad Ants for they went and played a series against G League Ignite, 
Uh, Carlisle said basically he thought that was his best stretch. I mean, he came out with some really good stats out of that, uh, especially I think in the in the later games. I think towards you know I, he they played somebody else. I think Stockton, uh, the Kings affiliate out there before they played the Ignite team. Um, but I, I want to say like his last game against Ignite was maybe like twenty four points, nine rebounds, five assists. So they like the overall progress he's making, but I think there's still some things that they're not super comfortable with. I think uh, it, you know his defense is not quite what they were hoping yet. Um, I think that's one big piece. He tends to gamble too much. I thought one, um, I thought he earned the steal last night and got a quick, quick whistle on that. Um, but, you know, I, they, they do like, so he, they, they see him gamble too much, basically. And I think that, and that was the case where he did gamble. And I thought he should have got away with it, uh, but he didn't. And so, you know, that can be an issue. Obviously, when you're going to gamble, you, you know, run the risk of fouls um, defensively. But, I mean, he hasn't necessarily been as sturdy in, in just keeping guys from getting by him as they'd like him to be and, and as quick in rotations as they want him to be. Offensively, I think he's come a long way, and I think they're really happy with that. They really like his feel, his passing ability, and just the way he sees the floor, I think. And they've seen that he's got the ability to play more positions because he can handle the basketball, he can bring it up, um, and, you know, he can be a guy who, you know, kind of starts uh, above the break, basically, either bringing the ball up for, you know, top of the key sort of stuff or, or being even a wing that can that operate from the elbows. Um, they really like that he can do that. He's become a much, much, much better shooter this year than he was when they than, uh, he was when they got him. Um, but I think the basic things, the defense, the defense and the rebounding is what they're willing to see more of before he's going to get on the floor consistently. Who do you think Utah fans root for when their Jazz G League team plays Stockton? Is that like a – you think it's – you know, like figure out there? I like that Well, one. you know, uh, John Stockton has uh, been in the news for some of the not-so-good reasons grape here smuggling? lately. Yeah, so maybe – Is it for grape smuggling? Maybe the feeling there has gone down a little bit. I wasn't on sure. that jury. Uh, Dustin, in terms of Jarris Walker in the rotation, if we are to see him by year's end – I steadily get some minutes into the rotation. Is there any chance this season that it happens organically or would it specifically right now be because of some sort of attrition in front of him? Um, I mean, he'd have to beat out Doug McDermott um, at the end of the day. He'd have to be a more... um, a more effective op- option than Doug McDermott. I don't think right now there's a way that he could make more sense for what they're doing than Ben Shepard does. I think Shepard's a little bit more uh, reliable of a shooter and defender, and he just sort of plays n- more naturally into the system. On some ways, Walker has more capacity, so it's all, all in a, in, in, on some hands kind of harder to fit him in because you're not going to be able to really get him the ball and get that much out of him, where Shepard's a guy where he, he gets the ball and he either shoots it if he's open or moves it if he isn't. You know, it's, he's got a very basic um you know kind of charge when he's on offense and i think defensively he's further along um all in all and i think walker can guard more if, if when, when walker becomes a defensive player that they believe he can he's going to be able to, to guard more positions but Shepard can very reliably guard anybody one to three right now so i think it just you know having made the deal with healed to move him on um you know there's kind of one spot available between Shepard and mcdermott and right now i think ben Shepard's a better defensive player and that makes him a more effective option so i don't and i don't know that walker can move him off of that um if you know, if, if Neesmith miss more, misses more games, um, you know, I think there's a possibility that Walker can play himself uh, into a scenario where he can beat out when he's the more effective player than McDermott. Obviously, that becomes its own issue because that means you gave up a really high sh- volume shooting guy in, in Buddy Heald and hope to replace him in Doug McDermott, and you haven't. Um, but all the same, I think there, there's going to have to be some level of attrition. Um, I mean, I guess it's also possible that Walker could just go wild and it in, you know, with the Mad Ants, and they could just say, "Well, we can't keep this guy off the floor anymore. We got to find a way." Um, but it's going to be a little hard because I think they're still going to have to play Ob. He's been too effective doing what he does. Uh, you know, Jalen Smith has obviously been really good at the five. Um, Matherin, you know, if he's going to be the second unit guy behind B. Smith, is a guy that you clearly have to have in the rotation. And I think Shepard's just been more solid, so I think Walker would have to do a lot um, to get to sort of naturally beat one of those guys out and move them along. Dustin Dupirak covers the page for the Indy Star is our guest. Dustin, I know that you joked that Rick Carlisle is tired of hearing the question about the player you alluded to in that range of the return of Aaron Neesmith and when that is to occur, but how big of a change immediately will this rotation experience whenever they get Neesmith back, and do you anticipate, like they did with Tyrese, to slowly kind of bring him along in terms of the minutes that he's getting? I mean... 
I would be surprised if he requires a minutes restriction just because, I mean, it, we're talking about sort of different deals. I think when you kind of get past a sprained ankle, you're usually okay unless it's kind of a high ankle deal or, or something like that. I mean, obviously, this is just sort of, you know, I'm not in the least bit a doctor and it's just sort of watching sports for years and years and seeing how guys usually come back. But, I, I mean, I'd be... I'd be surprised if it takes that long. I'd be surprised if it if he comes back in a way that he can uh, that's it's easily aggra- you know that he can aggravate it. Um, you know, I, I think if, if if he's still not healthy by this weekend, I imagine they give him the rest of the week um, and then you know sort of wait until he's he's back solid. So I don't I don't think it's going to take a similar track that it did uh, with Halliburton. I think when he's ready to go, he'll be ready to go. Um, you know, and and to to this point, like he's been walking around since the injury itself. I mean, like it's not a scenario where like he was in a walking boot on the first day or he had to go with crutches out of there, but he walked out of the building. Um, and so I don't know how far back it is. Cause he has been really cagey about saying it, but like, I can't imagine that, that it's that, you know, big, as nearly as big of a deal as it was with Halliburton, where you could see him come off the floor and you're like, well, that's a problem. You know, that's not good. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'd be surprised if it's drawn out, but I mean, I also wouldn't be surprised if it takes another week before they're ready to put him back out there. But I also just wouldn't think that it would be a long term, you know, 20 minutes today, 25 tomorrow, you know, that kind of deal. Um, but obviously, when he comes in, obviously, he's a huge key piece. You know, you're not going to want him if you can't if, if he can't guard. I mean, he's out there, you know, because he's one of the best two defensive players along with with Nemhard. You know, as far as perimeter guys is concerned, you know, they're not going to want him out there unless they know that he, he can guard somebody. Um, and so once that happens, obviously he's going to go back in the starting role. You move Mathurin back in the second unit uh, and roll from there, and you're you're back to giving Nemhard and Eason with your two top perimeter, uh, you know, defensive assignments. So I think you know it, it, if it takes a little while longer for them to feel comfortable for him to be out there doing that, uh, then they might wait on that. Dustin, I want to ask you, the, the returns look pretty good. We're talking with Dustin Doperak of the Indy Star. Um, returns look good, positive for Indy for their hosting job with the NBA All-Star Game. I saw they set the record for the NBA crossover event at the convention center with attendees. Um, something like just short of 200,000 people took part in all of the festivities, which was a 14-year high. The NBA ratings were up for the the All-Star Game, which was great to see, 20%, which is, is a significant number. But probably well definitely for jake um you and i are around the same age we might not get an nba all-star game back here maybe and jimmy and and eddie will be able to enjoy it what were your takeaways from getting to cover an event that is uh unique in a sense that indy hasn't hosted in 40 years and it might be another 40 until we host it again yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's a it's it's so different from like other when when you think of just covering major events. Um, you know, it's weird to to have this thing where there's this three day build up and there's not a championship at the end. It's just a, it's just a game that nobody's taking seriously. But there's just all this pomp and circumstance in the middle. You know that you know from you know dunk contest and the three point and the skills challenge and everything on Saturday and the rising stars on Friday. And you have all these sort of uh, you know various kind of media um, inspired things where they're like trying to get you know come talk to this person come talk to that person uh, and and it's wild i mean like i mean i think I, I got back from toronto on thursday and not long after that i'm sitting there talking to shack and i'm like mark i'm talking to shack like how did i get here <laughs> you know like that kind of thing and, and shack and barkley and then like they had an event basically for me to kind of ask them whatever you wanted to ask and like they don't censor either by the way like she, when you're talking to shack and barkley and they're not on camera like cuss words just fly like nothing i mean and it's hilarious you're just like oh they just say the f word just do it okay cool you know, that's kind of, yeah, it's kind of who you would expect they'd be, but it's, it's, you know, and so it was definitely, I, it, it was just a different kind of coverage. Cause you're just, you're used to kind of building up even when I've covered NCAA tournaments or college world series or stuff like that. There's this kind of like main event that you're keeping your, uh, you know, your mind focused on. And then like, but the all-star game, you're basically the question you're asking is like, so you guys going to care this year? You know, like that was kind of the only question. And at the end of the day, it was eh, not really. Um, but it's still, I think, a lot of fun to see all those personalities come in, to see, I guess, Indy step up and, and shine and kind of put its own mark on it. I mean, I think there were certainly some logistical issues. I mean, I I would say I, I had a lot of fun with it when I, once I had parked my car, which was never a, a fun scenario. But the rest of the week, it was just like, man, there's this crazy thing happening here. And it's like, you're, oh, like we're asking questions to Reggie Miller now, you know, like, and, and there was so many cool personalities, but they also just did a good job, I think, of, 
of of highlighting and focusing on the history when it came to the major events. You know, I think during the game, having the moment for Oscar Robertson was really cool, and delving into Crispus Attucks and just basically like his Oscar Robertson importance in, in Black history and like all of that. Uh, you know, I thought was really cool stuff, and just to see Indy shine like that was was really cool. Um, and, and with you know involving Spike Lee and something like that. And you're just like seeing all those kind of, uh, you know, dots connect. I thought was really cool. It's again, it's a very different experience. Really glad I got to cover it. I mean, I'm a guy who always like made a point of watching all-star Saturday night is even everybody's buried the dunk contest 20 times over. I'm still going to watch it every year. Uh, so it's cool to be in the building for some of that stuff that, you know, I've, I've always kind of made a point to check out and definitely, you know, one of those kind of bucket list items that you could check off. Yeah, I'm a fellow NBA nerd, so I've, I feel the same way. Um, you, can, you can leave NBA off that, although I'm not saying Dustin's a nerd, but yeah. I am, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll own that. Self-professed nerds, both of us. Nerds unites. Uh, we'll see how the Pacers can bounce back. Only one more, according to Eddie Garrison, only one more Sega Baba this year for the Pacers in the final 23-24 games. You can check out Dustin's work at Dustin Dopirak on X. And Pacers Insider, IndyStar.com, as always. Appreciate it, my man. Thanks so much. Let me ask you Thanks something. Thanks for having me, guys. Say that term again, that that acronym. Sega Baba. Okay.